Hi, I'm Terry Zabolski, pastor of Grace Community Church in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. I'd like to thank you for listening to this week's message. I hope and trust that God's Word is a blessing to you as you live for Him each and every day. Special guest, David Allen. Psalm 115. Not a psalm that you, uh, someone speaks on a lot, uh, but that's what I felt the Lord would have me do. Um, and then the Lord, in his wonderful way, confirmed that between what he led Roger to say last week and just how he, he continued to impress this psalm in my heart. The psalm itself was probably written after the Babylonian captivity of the nation of Israel. As we recall, the Lord had had his cup overflow with the sinful ways in which the people of his people were conducting themselves. He brought uh, Nebuchadnezzar down and carted him off into captivity. The city was sacked. Everything was in shambles. And then the Lord, according to Isaiah 45, after the appropriate time that he indicated they would be in captivity, he put hooks in the jaws of Cyrus, the king of Medo-Persia, who, who conquered uh, the Babylonians and was led of the Lord to release a remnant to go back and reestablish the nation. What did they go back to? No walls, an area very destitute. The temple was in serious depredation. They were bankrupt, basically. Not a whole, if you go there and look, if you could transport your mind back in time. Not a lot to hope for. They're small. Everything that they held dear is in ruins. And all those around them do not want them to succeed. And they are their enemies. And they're going to do everything they can so they don't succeed. Also, this psalm it is suggested is uh, used at Passover time, used to remind people that God is indeed what we sang about, an awesome God. And to remind them of the fact that he freed them from Egypt. And he brought them through the wilderness, stepping into the... Um, okay, a senior moment. Hold on a minute. <laughs> well, I know I got one out of two right. But the Red Sea, thank you, Lord. Uh, I know it well, but it just jumped out of my mind. The Lord opened the Red Sea, and they stepped in by faith, and he took them through that. He took them through many trials and tribulations in the wilderness, most of their own doing, for failure to trust him and believe him. And then they came to the Jordan. It was time to go in and take the promised land, and it was flood time in the Jordan. We'll talk about that a little bit later. And they had, once again, that God, that God, 
the only true God, opened the waterways. But actually didn't really do it till he said step in and that opened upon stepping in. And somehow, accidentally, I guess, was dry enough to walk through. Or at least man would have us think that. So you can see that the psalm is meant to be a psalm of encouragement, but it doesn't gloss over their situation. And that's what we want to look at, the situation, and we want to deal with the fact that today things are similar. Difficulties happen in life just because of life in a fallen world. But also, if you would say publicly, often enough, frequently enough, that you are a Christian, the response to you, by and large, over the long haul, will not be good. Just ask George Bush. Now, he's done something. I'm not going to get into politics. I'm not saying where I am. I'm just saying he said Christ was his hero. And you can see that the, that the onslaught has been on ever since. And I'm not saying he was a perfect man in anything. But I'm just saying, just, just, just check it out. Yes, and today, it seems God is, the, the most, of a, uh, most times you hear his name used is a curse word. Whenever he's depicted anymore, it's the, the butt of jokes. The false religions of the world are upheld more than Christianity. Then don't be surprised. Pastor is right. Sometimes it looks like it's lions one and Christians nothing. But don't despair. God is in charge. Last week, week, Roger told us that understanding the fear of God was essential to properly understanding all of life and really dealing with the issues of life, really putting everything in perspective in life. Without the fear of God, we probably can't really put anything in life in perspective, especially when things come into our lives that we don't understand. The fear of God is that trembling awe of who he is that comes from learning who he is through the pages of his word, through messages that he gives through his servants who love him, and through the way he carries us through life. It only comes by knowing him better and better through the scriptures. As I said, and you can capitalize this, we cannot begin to trust God no matter what unless we understand what it means to fear him and then incorporate this into our lives by the power of the Holy Spirit. So Psalm 115, verse 1. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory. I'm going to stop at that point. Not to us, not to humankind, but to you be glory. I'm not even sure there isn't a suggestion here that they're calling upon God to glorify himself. 
Why is it necessary? Why is it needed? Well, first of all, look at verse 2. Why do the nations say, where is their God? Why do the nations say, where is their God? Everything they've come back to is torn down. Everything they hold dear is torn down. Even the very word of God is neglected. And the people around them look and say, huh, they put a lot of crooks into where your position is. And they say, that's their God? Look at this. What kind of God is that? Our gods are greater. We could defeat them at any time. They needed encouragement in a very great way. And even today, folks, we do need the same kind of encouragement. I don't know what particular trial might enter your life at any given time or if you're in the midst of one. But we need encouragement from the Word of God and from God Himself about who He is and how we can trust Him no matter what. The cry goes out that he glorify himself for encouragement. The people are in need. The nations are mocking. And it hurts the heart of those who love him. Does it hurt your heart when God is mocked? It does mine. And I, it hurts it the most when I realize maybe in some way I'm doing it myself by just ignoring him or not taking him at his word. Well, there's other reasons that are cited here if we go back to the end of verse 1. It says, because of your love and your faithfulness. They ask for him to glorify himself which I hear within that, to right the situation. First of all, because of his love. I mean, think about the nation of Israel and what they were through, and they got into the promised land, and God drew them to the promised land, took them into it, and grew them up because of his love. He took them to Babylon because he loved them and he knew that they needed to be corrected and to grow up in him. And because of his love, he heard their cry and he released them right on time and back to a land that seemed barren, but they knew, if they, in their hearts they had to know, that the God of the Bible, the God of the Scriptures, the only true God, because of his love, was going to make things right. God cared about his people. He loved them. And he wants the, wanted them to grow. And believe me, they are going to grow as a result of what they've been through. And the things that happen in our lives, God permits to happen for purpose. But for those that know Christ as Savior, it is not because he has stopped loving us. It is because he cares about us. He loves you and me. He would that all would come to know him. In John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever would believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. 
But read further, because if you refuse to believe in him, you don't have life. If you do believe, you do have life. But the truth of the matter is, for the Christian, God loves you. And he doesn't stop loving you. Romans 5.8, But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't have to go to the cross. Well, he did have to. I almost made a mistake there. But he could have avoided it. Could he not if he wanted to? If God wanted it to be that way. But God did not want it to be that way. He died that we might have life. They call upon him to glorify himself because of his love. They call upon him to glorify himself because of his faithfulness. God is faithful. We just gave the litany of his faithfulness to the nation of Israel. We can even go, if we went through all of history, you'd say, how was God faithful in the Holocaust? God was still faithful. Is there a nation of Israel today? God is faithful. Will there always be a nation of Israel? Well, at least this side of his return and then his kingdom reign, but they are his people. He's not done with them. He's not done with them. God is faithful. He, will keep, he made a covenant promise with Abraham, and he will keep that promise. And he has made a promise to you and I that we are his forever, that no one can take us out of his hand, and that he's coming back for us. He's coming back. And that's a guarantee. That isn't a hope so. That is a guarantee. It's a promise straight from his word. He says in his word in Hebrews 13, 5 and 6, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. That's a promise. There's no condition around that. Check the context. It's a guarantee. Believers in Christ, we don't lose. I'll never leave. I'll never forsake. Do we go into difficult times? Yes. Do we sometimes wonder where God is? If we're being honest, yes. But the truth is, God understands all that. And because he loves us, he brings us through that and begin to see that he is with us and he can be trusted no matter what. In verse 8 of that same chapter of Hebrews 13, he says that he never changes. That follows within the context of promising to never leave nor forsake. And he never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Being unchangeable, impossible to break that promise. If God does not keep his promises, then he would be a liar. And he would not be the God described in the only book that he's ever given, his holy word. He would be fallible then. Because he was a liar. But he's not a liar. We're going to go into a contrast now between false gods and the God of the Bible. Let's read uh, verses uh, 3 through 8 and then we'll come back and make some statements. Our God is in heaven. He does whatever he pleases. That should sound familiar, folks. But their idols are silver and gold, made with the hands of men, 
They have mouths but cannot speak, eyes but they cannot see, they have ears but cannot hear, noses but they cannot smell, they have hands but cannot feel, feet but they cannot walk, nor can they utter a sound with their throats. Those who make them will be like them and so will all who trust in them. Now, right within these verses, I want you to see right off the bat that a God who is alive is being contrasted with gods, small g, that are not alive at all. Now, how do I get the idea that God is alive? From verse 3, our God is in heaven. He does, does whatever he pleases. If he was dead, he couldn't do anything. But he does whatever he pleases. That should remind us of our memory verse from Psalm 134, verse 6. Anyone remember that? Anyone brave enough to try that one? I'm going to cheat. You can cheat. (laughs) Matt? Absolutely. He does whatever pleases him wherever he wants to do it. And there's no place you can go to get away from him. No place. God does what he pleases. And he takes action to glorify himself. He is omnipotent, which is all-powerful. He is omniscient, which is all-wise. He's omnipresent. Check it out in Psalm 139. You'll see that clearly. Where can I go? In the heavens, in the seas. No, I can't go anywhere. He's with me. He's there. God sees it all. We can't hide from him. We can hide from each other, but we can't hide from God. You might think he doesn't see it, but he does. He says over and over in Isaiah, especially in chapter 45 and, and 46, and a little bit in 47, I am the Lord... And there is none other. I am the Lord, and there is none other. Over and over again, those chapters, if you ever get in a position where the doubts are overwhelming you, start reading in chapter 40 of Isaiah, and don't stop till you get to 50, and if you, you don't really have to stop at 50. And then you tell me if you have doubts after you've read that. You will not have any doubts anymore until the next time Satan trips us up. God is a great God, clearly saying, I am the Lord, and there is no other. I mean, who could have ever dreamed, hundreds of years before it happened, that he names Cyrus, the king, of uh, the per- Medo- is it Medo-Persian or Persian, Roger? Help. Medo-Persian. Medo-Persian Empire. And he wasn't born. And then he says, I'm going to spank Babylon with you, and then you're going to release my people. That's, a, that's an awesome God. Wow. Wow. Our God truly is an awesome God. Good job, music people. Now, false gods, think about this. These gods are made by who? Fallible human beings. For all have sinned and come short of the God, the glory of God. Fallible human beings who were created by God 
interesting. Now, we don't necessarily worship idols today, do we? Don't kid. I'm not going to kid myself. Don't kid yourself. Don't kid yourself. It's easy to slip into it. Money. We mind owning an oil well (laughs) in a small refinery. And I keep it to myself. See, there you go. Think about it. People that seem to be in the limelight, prestige is sought after. Things that don't matter. I hesitate to mention things because you'll think that's all there are. I mean, we can even do it with family, folks. I love my family, and I, I sometimes actually end up praying, God, please help me not to love them more than you. But we can do that. Can the creation be greater than the Creator? Impossible. I wish every one of you had, uh, and I can't do them justice and can't describe them well, had seen the CDs we've seen several Wednesday nights. To look, to put some things in perspective and see the universe and its immensity, and to see how everything can be formulated and how the earth is precisely placed and has the one big moon that it needs and all the atmosphere and conditions to sustain life. And in all of the universe, there is doubt as to whether that's possible anywhere else if you look at it properly and don't doubt the scientific uh, knowledge uh, and don't leave out God, a creator. You've got to start with a fear of God. And know that he just spoke and it all happened. Wow. And then you look at a a little motor that was made that runs around in our cell. Is there more than one, Roger? And it couldn't just happen. It couldn't just evolve. And the way it works is just magnificent. And we're looking under a microscope at a a God who is indescribable. Indescribable. The false gods. These gods, verse 5a says, have a mouth, but they can't speak. Interesting. God speaks. God spoke, and this was written. And God speaks to you and I through what was written, His Holy Word. He's not silent. He cares about us. Each of the hairs of our head are numbered. Some of us have more than others. I don't have much. I need to apologize. I couldn't do a thing with my hair today. I tried and tried and tried. I asked them at the beauty parlor, could could they curl it? Could they make it? Well, that's not important. But you, you, the important thing is to see that God cares. He cares. Check Matthew 6. Breathe through it. He cares. He cares what we have to wear. He cares what we have to eat. He cares about our health. He cares. 
5b, false gods, they're blind. Well, sure they're blind. They're just a, you might as well make this piece of wood a god. Talk to me. Oh, thank you for whoever brought water. I don't hear a thing. And neither did they. They're blind. They can't see. But as I already said, God sees. Check Psalm 139. You can't run away from him. Check throughout Scripture. You can't run away from God. God sees things we don't see. Ask Gideon. Gideon's hiding in a threshing floor. And God comes to him and says, Hail, thou man of mighty valor. He's hiding from the enemy. He doesn't want him to get his grain. Don't want him to hurt him. And God sees a man of valor. Don't God doubt what God can do in a life where there's difficulty and how God can use you. Verse 6a, no ear, they have ears, but they can't hear. Well, that sounds like my grandson. Do you notice how tone deaf little children can be? But they're lovable. Oh, they're lovable. Even when they're tone deaf, I think they're cute. But I have to be careful my daughter doesn't. Uh, but they can't hear. They can't help you. Your money, by and large, can't help you if you got diagnosis of terminal cancer. It might pay the bills, but it can't help you. A God that can hear could miraculously heal you, but the money can't help you. It won't buy happiness. The, the, the trinkets of this world aren't helpful. But our God hears, he says in Philippians 4, 6, and 7, that to be anxious for nothing but, every, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God, and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. He cares. They have a nose, but they can't smell. But yet, our prayers are a sweet savor to God, and the incense was a sweet savor and talked about in the Old Testament to God. Excuse me. Hands and feet, verse 7, but they can't help either. But Psalm 46.1 says that God is an ever-present help in the time of trouble. I want you to just look with me where we're at time-wise, to, to chapter 44 of Isaiah. I want you to see God's opinion. Of idols. Verse, um, let us start um, a little bit above verse 9. It says, You are my witnesses. Is there any God besides me? No, there is no ro other rock. No, not one. All who make idols, excuse me, are nothing. And the things they treasure are worthless. Those who would speak up for them are blind. They are ignorant to their own shame. Who shapes a God and casts an idol, which can profit him nothing? He and his kind will be put to shame. Craftsmen are nothing but men, 
Let them all come together and take their stand, for they will be bought, brought down with terror and infamy. Let's drop over to verse 17. Uh, From the rest he makes a god his idol. He's talking about wood that's used to warm himself. Save me, you are my god. They know nothing. They understand nothing. Their eyes are plastered over so they cannot see and their minds closed so they cannot understand. No one stops to think. No one has the knowledge or understanding to say, half of it is used for fuel. I have even baked bread over its coals. I roasted meat. I ate. I shall make a detestable thing from what is left. I shall bow down to a block of wood. He feeds on ashes. A deluded heart misleads him. He cannot save himself or, or say anything. Is not this thing in my right hand a lie? Remember these things, O Jacob, for you are my servant, O Israel. I have made you. You are my servant. I have swept away your, your offenses like a cloud. And it goes on and he repeats the folly of trusting in man-made things. And I want to add, to, uh, move beyond that, and trusting in mankind himself. We need to be wise and we need to be voters and we need to be discerners in this coming fall election. But our hope is not in the president. We'll hope the president will act godly. But our hope is in God, not in man. Our hope is in God, not in our might, not in our power, as much power as God has blessed this nation with. He can bring, us, bring it all to, a, all to a halt in an instant. Sometimes I think all he would have to do is withhold water. That'd be a terrible thing. Our hope is not in, 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 in anything. It's in God and God alone. So, I, I wasn't going to do this, but let's look at Isaiah 40 also. Had it down, and I said, no, and I said, yes. Verse 8, But you, O Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, you descendants of Abraham, my friend, I took you from the ends of the earth and from its farthest corners. I called you and I said, You are my servant. I have chosen you and have not rejected you. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. All who rage against you will surely be ashamed and disgraced. Those who oppose you will be as nothing and perish. Though you search for your enemies, you will not find them. Those who wage war against you will be as nothing at all. For I am the Lord, your God, who takes hold of your right hand and says to you, Do not fear, I will help you. Do not be afraid, O worm Jacob. O little Israel, for I myself will help you, declares the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. See, I will make you into a threshing sledge, new, sharp, and many teeth. And he goes on, verse 17, The poor and needy search for water, but there is none. Their tongues are parched with thirst. But I, the Lord, will answer them. I, the God of Israel, will not forsake them. I will make rivers flow on the barren heights and springs within the valleys. I will turn the desert into pools of water and the parched ground into springs. 
I will put in the desert the cedar and the acacia and the myrtle and the olive, and I will set pines in the wasteland and the cypress together so that people may see and know and may consider and understand that the hand of the Lord has done this. Present your case, says the Lord. Set forth your arguments, says Jacob's king. Bring in your idols. Tell us what is going to happen. Tell us what the former things were so that we may consider them and know their final outcome or declare to us the things to come. Tell us what the future holds so we may know that you are God's. Do something, whether good or bad, so that we may be dismayed. But you are less than nothing. Your works are utterly worthless. He, is, he chooses you. He who chooses you is detestable. I have stirred up one from the north, and it goes on and on and on. We can read on and see the marvelous glory of God. I was in the wrong chapter, but that sounded good too. Sorry, folks. I was in 41. I apologize, but I guess I was supposed to read that. I, I wanted to get this idea here in 40, uh, verse 12. It says, sounds Job-like. Listen to this. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, or with the breath of his hand marked off the heavens? Who has held the dust of the earth in the basket, or weighed, in the, mount, weighed the mountains on the scale and the hills in the balance? Who has understood the mind of the Lord, or instructed him as his counselor? Whom did the Lord consult to enlighten him, or who, who, who taught him the right way? Who was it that taught him the knowledge, or showed him the path of understanding? Surely the nations are a drop, drop in a bucket. They are great as dust in the scales and the weight of an island. And go on and on and on. The true and the living God. I just want you to get a glimpse of him. Not just a glimpse. The, the nations, think about it. All the nations of the earth are but a drop in a bucket compared to God. Wow. False gods are truly dead, truly impudent. The true God is all-powerful, all-wise, and everywhere present. Verse 8 says, Those who follow them will be like them. Those who follow them will be like them. And it includes those who make them. When we trust in other than the true and the living God, we are on very dangerous ground. There's not much hope for the people that head that way, save God would intervene miraculously and change hearts. You and I might say, we don't have idols, I've already been there, but do we? Let God search our hearts. See if there's something there that takes his place. And let him take it out of our life for his glory. Now I've said an awful lot about trusting God and we're just getting to the part as a call to trust God. Verses 9 to 11. In Psalm 115. O house of Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. You who fear him, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. The Lord, Lord remembers us and will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless uh, the house 
of Aaron, he will bless those who fear him. Small and great alike, may the Lord make you increase, both you and your children. May you be blessed by the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. That's, it's like a repetition, a threefold invitation to trust to his chosen people, remember from whence you came, to the house of Aaron, be true to the word of God, trust the Lord, to this house here that we say is dedicated to God, don't trust in gimmicks. Don't trust in the ways of the world. Preach the truth of God uncompromisingly. Love each other as Christ has loved us. But we don't need the world's gimmicks. Christ is enough. You God-fearers, you who fear the Lord, you who stand in awe and tremble, Trust in the Lord. You who reverence Him and believers in Christ, those of you who have the right idea of who you truly are, sinners saved by grace, just trust in Him. Stand trembling in all of Him. We've heard it. We've seen it in Isaiah. We've seen it in the video. We, we know it from all of God's Word. He is to be, He is trustworthy. Because he is the only God and he is all-powerful. God repeats something. When he says it more than once, we should take special note. We should take special note. Don't trust in that which is false three times. Trust in me three times. And he is our help and our shield three times. Six times positive, three times negative reinforcement that we need to get a hold of. And we won't get a hold of it without fearing God. Trust Him. He is almighty. Do, you, do I understand, do you understand the significance of almighty I think it's hard for us at times, especially when things aren't going right. I've been there. I like to tell you I did well with it. But in spite of not doing well with it, God blessed anyhow because he understood. He understood. The phrase, he is their help and shield. Shield signified to Israel protection. If you went to Genesis 15, 1, you would see that as he talks with Abraham. In Ephesians 6, 15, we're talked, it talks to us about the shield of God. It's our protection, and it, it comes from being immersed in the Word of God and knowing Him. And we can stand tall when the fiery darts are fired at us. And we can still love those firing the darts. We may wonder what God is up to when the lights go out, so to speak. But we can know that for the believer, 
Romans 8.28 says all things work together for good. It does not say we enjoy everything that happens or it feels good. And I hope I understand where some of our brothers and sisters in Christ are trying to come from, but I will guarantee you if, if someone would come up here right now and chop this arm off, I doubt that I would say, praise the Lord, my arm was chopped off. But I would praise the Lord anyhow because of who He is. All things work together good. Also, the same chapter indicates that nothing, get this, zero can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Nothing not even you. If you really meant business with God and accepted Christ as your Savior, you can't take yourself out of His hands. Because if you could, you would be God. What He saves, He keeps for all eternity. If God is for us, that chapter says, who can be against us? He is a God that can be trusted. Wow, the heavens declare it. He has proven he's trustworthy. Well, what's the results of trusting in God? Verses 12 to 16. The Lord remembers us and will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who... Fear him, small and great alike. May the Lord make you increase, both you and your children. May you be blessed by the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. The highest heavens belong to the Lord, but the earth he has given to man. There's that three times something is stated with a particular audience in mind. But the results of trusting God are blessing. Don't confuse blessing with materiality. That may come with it. But that's not blessing. Some of the most blessed people I've ever met didn't have two dimes to rub together, but they loved the Lord. I remember a lady that was a Sunday school teacher of mine. And she chose, she felt the Lord would have her live in the most poverty-stricken area of uh, of Harrisburg. She lived in two places like that. Always reaching out, ministering to people in that area. Always giving away everything just about that she had. And I never saw anybody happier. She basically had nothing in terms of what we think makes you happy. But she was happy because in the Lord. She loved him. It's, it's where we're at with the Lord. It's where we're at spiritually. How we're growing. That's riches. That's blessing. He promised to increase them, and indeed he increased the nation of Israel. He increased them, and through that increase to them, he brought blessing to us. How did he do that? Where did our Savior come from? Through that increase in the people of Israel, through the line of David, a Savior was born. Blessing. Warren Wearsby says this about blessing. It is anything from the hand of God 
that is for our good and His glory and that we can use in the service of others. Think about that. That's very unselfish definition because that's the way it ought to be. It is anything from the hand of God that is for our good, your good, my good, and His glory that we can use in the service of others. Oftentimes, the storms of life are preparation ground that we, God will bring across our paths people that go through like storms of life that we can tell them how wonderfully God has worked through our lives in the midst of that storm. God uses it for His glory. I know that for a fact. And I think many of you know that too. We see in 13b that God is no respecter of persons. He blesses both small and great alike. In the house of God, His children, there's neither Jew nor Greek, but we're all one in Christ Jesus. The richest it is not on any better footing than the poorest. And you can go on and on with adjectives if you want. You can be the best looking. You can be someone that's kind of humble looking like me. And that's okay. God doesn't care about those things. He cares about where your heart is. So the Lord caused the increase. We're blessed. That's 14 and 15 and 16. And he rules the heavens but gives earth dominion to man. Now don't think God is off in the heavens and not involved in what's going on on earth. But that's just a reference to the fact that man was told to have dominion over the earth. Is there anything save the forces of nature and I hate that word because I don't want to absent God from that either, that, God, that man is not able to harness. Not really. God has really allowed us to have dominion. But he's still in control. He rules. And we should rejoice in it. And that's what the last part of the psalm calls for, rejoicing in it. Verse 17 it is not the dead who praise the Lord, those who go down to silence. It is we who extol the Lord, both now and forevermore. Praise the Lord. The dead, meaning, he's not talking on annihilation here, and that they're the dead, not all, that the dead just simply go away and they, they're not to be found anymore. He's talking about the fact that in this plane, in this life, once you die, no one can hear you, unless there's a tape, no one can hear you verbally praise the Lord anymore. But also the spiritually dead, when they die, they can't praise the Lord because they die without praising Him. And it's appointed unto man once to die. And after that, the judgment, meaning there is no hope once we depart this life of ever praising the Lord because we left without accepting Jesus Christ. Anyone that has not accepted Him has no hope. He's the only hope for salvation from sin. There is not anyone here that has never broken one of the Ten Commandments. 
Nobody. I know that with confidence. None. God is a holy, righteous God. He cannot have sin in His presence. Therefore, a gulf has been created between God and man by the fact that we are all sinners. And it's unremediable. And if you think through the commandments and you're honest with yourself, you'll know that you've broken them. We need help. There's nothing we can do to remedy the problem. But God sent His Son to die for the sins we committed. He lived sinlessly, never committed a sin. The perfect sacrifice. And rose victorious over death and the grave that we might have eternal life. If anyone is here this morning and has never accepted Christ, you, uh, I hate to say it, but it's true, you're on dangerous, slippery ground. We don't have the promise of the next breath. I'm not trying to frighten anybody into heaven. I'm just trying to talk reality. Come, let us reason together, the scripture says. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. If you believe in Christ as your personal Savior, He will save you from your sins. Christ bridged the gulf. Those who are truly God's children should be praising God for who He is and what He has done for us in this life and for all eternity. He has met our greatest need. Our greatest need is salvation. And all the rest, for those that like gravy, is just gravy. It's just blessing upon blessing. Grace upon grace. Psalm 150, please turn there with me. I don't think we could have this message without ending in praise. And I'd rather use his word to praise him. Praise the Lord. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in His mighty heavens. Praise Him for His acts of power. Praise Him for His surpassing greatness. Praise Him with the sounding of the trumpet. Praise Him with the harp and the lyre. Praise Him with the tambourine and dancing. Praise Him with strings and flute. Praise Him with the clash of cymbals. Praise Him with resounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Jay, I should have had you up there hitting the cymbals. That would have been great. Now, we've come to the point where I have the word conclusion. I say, so what? So what? So what? what what's all that talking about? Well, here's some things I'd like you to try to remember. First of all, remember that when the lights of life go out, so to speak, in the midst of the storm, God has not, believer, forgotten you. God has not forgotten you. Remember that what you are doing through going through has purpose and it will 
work for good. It will. You wonder how, but it will. Remember that God has promised to love us and to never leave nor forsake us. Don't let Satan trick you into ever doubting that. Will you catch that happening? Go to Isaiah. Go to prayer. Ask God for victory. He understands. Remember that it may not be pleasant, but the other side of difficulty is blessing for you and most probably for others. Remember Job. He had it all. He lost it all. And God gave it all back. We win, believers. Remember that Almighty God is for us, and therefore no one or thing can be against us. We are more than conquerors. So, trust, trust, trust God. Trust. Remember to praise God daily for who He is and His bountiful blessings He has poured out upon us. You know, the end of that psalm talked about praising Him forever. We'll get that privilege. This life and the life to follow. Praise God forever and ever.